0: This is the last day of this April 2019 seven day session. And we'll uh, continue with our koan from yesterday, uh, part two of uh, commentary on uh, the koan Hyakujo and a fox, number two in the Mumonkan. It's uh, one of the l- longest koans, and one of the Most loaded with uh, interesting material. Uh, So one didn't want to try to cut it short yesterday. For people who are hearing this uh, about this koan without having heard yesterday uh, very briefly it's about a uh, it's a it's a, a legend a, a myth about uh, the time of uh, hyakujo the 8th century uh, chinese zen master chan master uh, who uh, noticed that uh, one of the apparent monks who'd been in his assembly, the monastic assembly, stayed behind and approached him and said, "Um, I may look like a a human being, a monk, but actually I'm a fox. I used to be the head of this monastery, the abbot. And uh, I made the mistake, when someone asked me a question of, uh, of going wrong, the question was, does the enlightened person fall under the chain of cause and effect or not? And I said, he does not. And as a karmic consequence of that, I've been reborn 500 times as a fox. Now please, Master Hyakujo, give me the turning words to release me from this fox body. That's where we left off yesterday, (laughs) hanging from a cliff. And, uh, Hyakujo, so he puts the question again to Hyakujo, uh, can the enlightened person fall again under the chain of cause and effect? And Hyakujo answered, he does not ignore the law of causation. There are other translations of that. Uh, One is he is not blinded or he's not blind to the law of causation. He does not evade the law of causation. But as always with koans, we want to get behind the words, not get hung up on the particular wording of the translation and get to the spirit uh, behind what Hyakujo said, what his meaning was. And that these words... Uh, the fox, former abbot, uh, immediately awakened. There's a a master of old. Uh, This appears in uh, the Book of Serenity. This this same koan that's in the Mumonkan also appears in the Book of Serenity, the Shoyoroku. And uh, the master in there commented, the Wild Fox leaps into the company of the Golden Lion, so he comes to awakening he's released from his uh, from rebirth as a fox, and uh, he made his bows of gratitude, and he says, "I' am now released from rebirth as a fox, and my body will be found on the other side of this mountain." And he asks, I won't go into this verbatim, he asks that he be buried as a dead monk, and uh, Hyakujo follows through with that. Now, we can't really go any further in this without mentioning rebirth, which uh, is anything but uh, accepted by many people. Even many people who come to Sashin may uh, not Accepted, um, or may just think, well, it doesn't? It's not really my concern uh, whether I believe in rebirth or not. Which is good, because you don't have to believe in rebirth to practice earnestly and come to awakening. It's a much bigger deal in Tibetan Buddhism, from everything I've gathered in reading. Uh, that there are those who insist, very seasoned pr- practitioners in Tibetan Buddhism who insist that you can't come to enlightenment without believing in rebirth, which strikes me as nonsense because awakening is, has nothing to do with a belief. It's losing, losing our false beliefs, uh, getting beyond beliefs, beyond everything we've learned, our conditioning, But uh, the koan, uh, it's, it's hard to, to make sense of it unless uh, outside of the context of rebirth. Um, I have no question that uh, rebirth is a real thing, that um, death is not an ending, birth is not a beginning, and for those who are dubious about rebirth, just consider what is it in nature, in the natural world, that just ends without transforming into something else. <coughs> People will commonly say, well, how come we don't have any memories of our our past life, our lives? And, um, well, first of all, there are those who make very credible claims to uh, remembering a past life, uh, claims that have been investigated and uh, for which strong evidence exists that they, they knew what they were talking about, objective evidence. But aside from that, why should we expect to remember what happened in a past life when We can't remember what happened in the earliest months or years of our life. My earliest memories when I was three and had my tonsils out, I've heard from other people who've had uh, uh, memories, they say, from even earlier age. But uh, that's no basis for... uh, rejecting rebirth just to just to distinguish between reincarnation and rebirth uh, reincarnation posits a soul that then inhabits different bodies over time an, uh, an enduring unchanging eternal soul and there's no such uh belief in in Buddhism of anything that's unchanging Uh, And so then the question always comes up, okay, then what is reborn if not a soul? And the answer is there's no thing. There's no substance. In Buddhism, rebirth, as distinguished from reincarnation, is not the transference of a substance, an entity, but the continuation of a process process we call karma. There are these uh, two aspects to reality as taught in Buddhism and is confirmed through awakening. There's the side, uh, the what, sometimes called the conventional side of reality which is the side of what everyone thinks of as the whole this the side of of coming and going and change and this and that and higher and lower and uh, life and death time uh, right and wrong all the many ways we can uh, Divide reality into discriminations. That's half the truth. The other is there's what is beyond all that. Beyond time. Beyond space. Beyond change. Beyond differences. This is the undifferentiated. The absolute. So this hapless, uh, or not hapless, uh, this former abbot who then became a fox uh, was asked uh, once you, be, you awaken to your true nature, uh, basically saying, are you then free of karma? You free of chain of causation. And he made the mistake of saying just yes, giving half an answer, half right. On any test, 50% would not do But then what does awakening confer? What does it grant us if we are still subject to the chain of causation, of karma? Awakening means we have seen into the purity of our self-nature We've seen into all of the mechanics, uh, the, the variables of of karma, right and wrong, good and bad, uh, causing pain, not causing pain. We've seen what is beyond all that—that that is the absolute side of of things—and as well, we've seen that into the, na- the 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 self. We've seen into no self, and we've. Seen at least as a glimpse that there is no one. Ultimately, there is no one who uh, sows uh, painful karma or reaps painful karma. There's no permanent self in there, and this is what gives uh, karma its dynamic nature, as we're not we're not stuck with the self. The self is. F- Reforming all the time, especially with the help of of our practice, where we are uh, detaching from thoughts it's it's giving way to thoughts that binds us to this wheel of suffering, karma and suffering now of course the the enlightened woman or man uh, suffers pain. Uh, as Roshi Kapil used to say, "If you if you cut the finger of an enlightened person, it bleeds." There, cause and effect. Uh, so you can't say in an absolute sense that we're, we d- d- are not subject to cause and effect, uh, but with the insight into the uh, the other side. What is what is beyond suffering? Uh, then we have the freedom to experience it differently and not react in the same way. It's reaction that is karma. It's karma literally means action and reaction. And we have we've opened up the space. And this isn't only through awakening. It's it's to some degree just through practice, serious practice, we can open up a space where we're not just reacting. So, uh, the obvious example is what we go through in Sashin with physical pain. Um, the, the ordinary response, a reaction when we're in pain is to fight it or flee it, somehow react to it, um, Whereas through the power of zazen, we have the ability to see that this pain is really no pain in the sense that it has no substance to it. It comes and goes. And that is liberating, maybe only to a small degree at first, but we come to see that a pain is, there's no pain out there. There's no objective pain. It's all subjective. It depends on the, ex- the person experiencing it. And that means the mind, the, the way we use our attention goes a long way to uh, determining our experience of the pain. It has no independent existence, the pain. I uh, found a, a, a passage, a couple of passages in um, a great book on Korean Zen uh, called The Collected Works of Chinul. Chinul is uh, sort of the, the patriarch of uh, Korean Zen, um, 12th century maybe, long time ago. Yes, 12th century, I see here. And uh, he talks about how, even after awakening, uh, we still have to contend with the habit forces that they have built up in our mind bodies. Uh, and uh, I'll read this passage. Although he has awakened to the fact that his original nature is no different from that of the Buddha's, the beginningless habit energies are extremely difficult to remove suddenly, and so he must continue to cultivate while relying on this awakening. Through this gradual permeation, his endeavors reach completion. He constantly nurtures the sacred embryo, and after a long time, he becomes a saint. Well, we don't have those. Uh, so that the footnote here on nurtures the sacred embryo. Sacred embryo. Uh, refers to the practitioner during the three stages of worthiness. In in Korean Zen texts, the phrase constantly nurture the sacred embryo refers to subsequent practice after the initial awakening, during which the inchoate embryo of Buddhahood is nurtured until finally the fetus matures and is born to the family of the Buddhas. And then back to Chinul, he says, This process, that is the nurturing, the ongoing post-enlightenment training, this process can be compared to the maturation of a child. From the day of its birth, a baby is endowed with all the sense organs, just like everyone else, but its strength is not yet fully developed. It is only after many months and years that it will finally become an adult. Here's another uh, paragraph by Chinu. For innumerable kalpas without beginning up to the present time, ordinary people have passed between the five destinies, coming and going between birth and death. They obstinately cling to self, and over a long period of time, their natures have become thoroughly permeated by false thoughts, inverted views, ignorance, and the habit energies. Although coming into this life they might suddenly awaken to the fact that their self-nature is originally empty and calm and no different from that of the Buddhas, these old habits are difficult to eliminate completely. Consequently, when they come into contact with either favorable or adverse objects, then anger and happiness Or propriety or impropriety blaze forth, their defilements are no different from before. And he says, as it is said, although the person who has suddenly awakened is the same as the Buddhas, the habit energies which have built up over many lives are deep rooted. The wind ceases, but the waves still surge very eloquent phrase the wind ceases after awakening but the waves still surge now one might pose the question well wait that's let's say that's that's not complete awakening Uh, What about complete awakening? Well, I don't know. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) There's a saying in Japanese Zen, uh, even Shakyamuni is only halfway there. The point being that uh, we're all on the way Whatever experiences we've had, whatever awakenings we've had, we still have further to go. Fundamental principle in Zen practice: we could talk about full Buddhas, full enlightenment, but who of us knows about that? It's it's. Zen Master hakuin said, uh, "The Dharma is." Like the ocean, the farther you go into it, the deeper it gets. Then Master Dogen said, uh, If you think you've gone all the way, keep going. You only get it when you're halfway. Uh, in uh, original Buddhism, of before Zen was originated in China, in those centuries and centuries of Indian Buddhism, uh, there was a very strong notion of merit, uh, which which karma is seen as kind of an accounting sheet, uh, where if you do good deeds, uh, in, in particular uh, supporting... Uh, the monastic community and uh, making donations to monasteries and all so forth, but any good deeds, really, uh, then you're you're creating good karma. And if you um, don't uphold, the, if you engage in misconduct, don't uphold the precepts, then you're creating bad karma. And uh, even to this day in Asia, uh, there is a strong belief uh, that um in this accounting sheet and uh it's so uh mechanistic it's 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 certainly not the whole story because what we do or say or think yes is creating these are causes that create subsequent uh, seeds of karma, uh, but they're not the whole story. We are embedded in, uh, in interrelational causes. That karma, uh, karma is, is based on primary and secondary causes and conditions. It's not just what we do at any moment, but, uh, the wider context, the situation, and, and other people. There is a, a notion in, in Asia, maybe more South Asia, that uh, the more pain you subject yourself to, uh, the uh, better, more you're expiating karma. And uh, the Buddha had something to say about this. Um, this is from the book, uh, Stories of the Spirit, Stories of the Heart, uh, Parables of the Spiritual Path from Around the World. And uh, here's the story. The Buddha, in his travels, encountered a Jain. Uh, Jain is a religion uh, in India, maybe Southeast Asia, that is not uh, completely dissimilar to Buddhism. Uh, It's uh, very much based on uh, uh, non-injuriousness, non-harming. Jains are famous for moving through life with a mask over their uh, mouth and nose so that they uh, don't uh, s- transmit any kind of microorganisms, uh, or rather, they don't kill any microorganisms. Uh, the Buddha in his travels encountered a Jain whose practice consisted of standing still on one leg. This is a real thing. I saw a photograph once in a newspaper about a, a guy in India who was standing on one leg. They stand on it for months, uh, and the the leg that is uh, held up actually withers. Um, so he's standing still on one leg. The Buddha asked him, Would you tell me why you are doing this? What will this practice of standing on one leg do for you? The Jain replied, Through this practice, I am working out my karma. It will free me of all past karma. The Buddha asked him, How much have you worked out so far? The Jain replied, I could not say. Good man. The Buddha then asked, How much karma do you still have left to work out? The Jain again replied, I do not know. Lastly, the Buddha asked him, But how will you know when you have finished working out your karma? The Jain could only again answer, This I do not know. At this reply, the Buddha spoke to him, saying, It is time for you to set aside this practice and to understand the path to the end of suffering. It lies within the truth of each moment, here and now. And that's where the work resides this moment here and now of looking, watching, noticing how we get attached to our thoughts, to our different states of mind. And in that is the seed of suffering and learning that we don't have to uh, dwell in these transitory states, including thoughts In the, the Hakkawan chant that we did a little while ago, uh, we recite his words, the gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. In Samadhi, then, uh, we, we reach this freedom from causes and conditions in the sense that we are absolutely one with our Karma that each one of us at every moment is our karma our our mind body and all of its processes is karma this is reflects our past and our future buddha was once asked what about a a student asked him about past life, and he said, if you want to know what you were in the past, look at yourself now. If you want to know what you'll be in the future, look at yourself now. That's where we bore in in Zen practice, looking at this, this moment, the mind as it is right now, and seeing our, our, habitual clinging to our thoughts and ideas and how we can free ourselves from that just by not doing it. Uh, earlier in Sashin, we were reading from the Japanese Zen Master Banke who uh, addressed this, this claim that he had heard where someone says, Well, I'm a thief because of my heavy karma. And he made the point: uh, No, your your stealing is your heavy karma. Don't just imagine that uh, we're just on the on the effect end of karma. Uh, At any moment, both cause and effect are fused. Again, Hakun. Then the gateway to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Yes, we are we we struggle with the condition of our mind and the extent to which we are habituated to clinging, but right there, in the cause side of the equation, we can cut a new course. We're not Bound at any moment. We really are not bound. Yes, we are, we have propensities, uh, we have tendencies, and other, other words for, that's, those are words for karma also. We have propensities to keep doing what we've always done, but within there is, at each moment, we have the freedom to not do that. And we realize this in a Samadhi where we're free. I think of karma with this phrase, this statement of Thomas Jefferson the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Don't think, look, watch, see how we're using our attention or misusing our attention to what we direct our attention. Because wherever we're directing our attention, that's who we are. To continue with the uh, the koan, it says in the evening, Kyakujo uh, told the monks the whole story of the the, the fox abbot and and all, and then uh, his one of his leading disciples Obaku asked the following question: This old man made a mistake. In his answer, and suffered rebirth as a fox for 500 lives, you say. But now, suppose every time that he answered, he had not made a mistake. What would he have become? Hyakujo replied, just come closer to me and I'll tell you. Hyak- Hyaku- um, yeah. And then Obaku went up and slapped Hyakujo. And Hyakujo clapped his hands, laughing, and said, I thought that only the barbarian's beard is red, but I see that you are a barbarian with a red beard. It's a pretty opaque statement that the student has to uh, come to understand in Doksan. What's interesting is uh, uh, another translation, uh, instead of barbarian, it was fox. So, I thought that only the, fox's, only the fox's beard is red, but I see that you are a fox with a red beard. Chinese language is so vague, just these, these characters that are put down uh, without a lot of connecting tissue, and it's left uh, to translators and to the students working on these koans to try to understand uh, what's, what, what's really going on such can be such such differences in translations suppose every time he answered he had not made a mistake, what would he have become in the uh, in another koan in the mumon Khan, the uh in the verse. Uh, there's the last line says, although each move is ahead of the next, know that there's another way up. Although we are part of this chain of cause and effect at every moment, know that it's not, it's not fate. We are not bound Karma is a dynamic process. We are in flux. This is what this understanding of no self means that we are not bound. There's nothing, no one there to be bound. We can work and rework ourselves, and change these habit forces. In uh, this koan, uh, we see in this story, we see uh, the, uh, the former abbot suffering uh, rebirth as a as a fox for having uh, taught for his false teaching. There's another koan where uh, the master, uh, after a three month training period, he says to his leading disciples, "I've been teaching this whole time. Now tell me whether my eyebrows are still there." And, uh, this is not giving too much away to say that this is a reference to, it's became a, a, uh, a slogan that if you teach falsely, then you lose your eyebrows. And it goes back to, um, uh, the, the incidence of leprosy where leprosy is seen, of course, as a state of very painful karma. And, uh, in which you lose your, your eyebrows, among other things. And, uh, and so that's the linkage. You know, If you te- teach falsely, then uh, you go to, you have to suffer the same consequences as someone else who goes to hell. Now, Mumon's commentary. Not falling under the law of cause and effect, why was he turned into a fox? Not ignoring the law of causation, why was he released from a fox body? If in regard to this you have the one eye to see into this, you will know that the former head of the monastery did enjoy his 500 lives as a fox. Wonderful point. Again Zen practice especially, especially Sashin, we can we are facing our painful karma and simultaneously learning to get free of it by not dividing the mind, not separating ourselves from what arises, what we encounter, physical pain, emotional pain, this is the way, coming one with it, not fighting it, not fleeing it, It's uh commonly said in Buddhism that uh, it is only from a human state uh that we can come to awakening. Um I could say that it is that, that is our human state, even short of awakening that gives us the ability to reflect and to choose a non reactive way. Animals, uh, it seems, it seems, are mostly bound to reacting. There are some pretty persuasive stories of animals not only having a range of emotions, uh, but of uh, well, one or two I've read of, of uh, a death coming to awakening, and not, again, who knows about that? But we know that as human beings, we have this magnificent faculty of having a choice, not being bound to reacting, having a choice in any situation as to how we respond. And we're being tested all the time. We're getting a chance to work that again and again and again, moment by moment. And in uh, relationships, interpersonal relationships is one of the most, uh, the richest opportunities to practice that non reactivity. And then finally, Mumon's verse. Not falling, not ignoring. Two faces, but one die. Die is in a singular of dice. Two faces, but one die. Not ignoring, not falling. Hundreds and thousands of regrets. The... Uh, this whole koan is a cautionary tale uh, for anyone who imagines that uh, through awakening or some other kind of insight uh, we can just do whatever we want, that we're no longer subject to causation. There are those who claim that. It, they may not s- may state it so baldly, but uh, there are, for example, Buddhist teachers who um, operate... Uh, on the basis of uh, being free of causation and being able to uh, do whatever they want. Bodhidharma had this to say about that. One who thinks only that everything is void but is ignorant of the law of causation falls into everlasting pitch-black hell. <laughs> Snap! that that's the idea is that because everything is empty and that's remember that side of the coin, because everything is empty, um, that nothing really matters. Um, can do whatever we want. This is, this is their notion of freedom, but it's, uh, it's so diluted, uh, it's just what, what the abbot had said. Does the Enlightenment fall? No, he doesn't. He doesn't fall under the chain of cause and effect. Our time is up. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.
1: things without number I vow to liberate endless blind and I vow to uproot to gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot, to arm against beyond measure. I vow to benefit the great way of Buddha. I vow. To attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot, harm against beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I bow to a